Welcome to the Geek Teak Podcast, where BJ still sounds like this. I do. I sound like this. Yes. Yeah, so this is our second episode in the same night. Um, tonight, we are talking about... Oh, wait. I didn't introduce us. I'm Void. I'm here with my host, <laughs> Beej. I jumped the gun. That's okay. Um, we are talking about how to pick a game console, because Katie from Tea Time with Katie and Chelsea gave us this idea. She basically wanted to get back into gaming and had been away from it for a while. So she was asking us for advice on Slack and on Twitter about like how to pick a game console and how to get back into it. So now we're going to talk about this, even though we kind of already helped Katie decide with her you know, yeah. situation, but we thought more people might be interested. And I don't know if it's a super deep topic, which is fine. We're kind of aiming for short tonight with BJ's voice the way it is. Um, but how to pick a console like from... Well, I have a couple bullet points here, but yeah, I mean, we, we well, talked it, it's about it's an interesting idea for me anyway, yeah. just thinking about it, because it's not anything I've ever really thought of. I mean, growing up like I did, it was I was lucky to be able to pretty much get what console I wanted. And it wasn't like it, at most times by the end of the life cycle, I had all of them for one reason or another. And it's being a gamer. It's not even really a, a skill i guess it's just like okay this is uh, i'm an xbox guy i'm a playstation guy and here's why it's not even a conscious decision in a lot of us it's just like oh i like these better and so it's interesting to think about yeah and i mean for me it depends on the console generation there have been console generations yeah. where i owned absolutely every system and then there are ones like the xbox 360 and ps3 generation where I had an Xbox 360, even though it died on me a few times. I just bought another Xbox 360 uh -huh. um, for like, I don't know, eight years. And then when that system was finally done and we were past it and like PS4 was coming out, I picked up a PS3 just to check out whatever exclusives <laughs> I had missed for the last eight or nine years. So I don't know. It, it depends for me. Like, I don't have an Xbox One, even though we just talked about that, that I was considering it because of that Phil Spencer interview from last week. Um, yeah. But, I mean, like, I haven't been compelled to get an Xbox One, and we are already kind of, we're not approaching the end of this console generation yet, but the next generation is in sight. Like, they started hinting at it this E3 for the first time, which means we probably have a couple good years here, and then if the pattern follows from all the previous generations, we'll get another year or two after that of games that are compatible on both, uh, you know, PS4 yep. and whatever PS5 ends up being. That's pretty typical. So we probably have another like four solid years of this console gen at least. And that's not necessarily to say it, that there aren't going to be exclusives to the next generation. That's true. But I mean, I'm still playing things on my PS3. I was looking at the PSN for Tales games recently that I didn't even know had been, you know, existed. I didn't know they existed and saw that I'm going to probably be playing stuff like that. I mean, Persona 5 was released on the PS3. Yeah, no, that's that's very true. So, I mean, and that kind of leads into one of our main things here is like when you're looking to pick a console, what games do you want to play? And yep. It's something that seems obvious to us as gamers, but if you have been out of gaming for a while, it might not be something you think about. So um, in general, you want to think about first-party versus third-party games. Um, a yep. first-party game is one that's like developed or funded by the console owner. So like, if Sony is making a game or if one of Sony's in-house studios is making a game, that is a first-party game on the PlayStation, uh, PlayStation 4 at the moment. But whatever PlayStation system... And it PlayStation will never system, be... 
Yeah, and it will never be on Xbox or anything else because that is a property of that company. Right. Whereas if you have a third-party game, something made by like Activision Blizzard or something made by uh, what's another good example? Square Enix or or EA. Uh, EA is another Ubisoft. Great one. Ubisoft. Yeah, those games will come to every system they can possibly release on. So it might not be on everything depending on power level because like the Switch is a little bit less powerful than the other ones right now, but. You know, you can safely get uh, a PS4 or an Xbox One right now and know that you're going to be able to play every Ubisoft game, every EA game, you know, every like that. That's that's something to consider. So knowing what games you want to play, you know, and you do have to consider exclusives as well with certain companies that they will sign for exclusive rights to a third party franchise where you may have uh I believe that Dragon Quest 11 is going to just be on PC and PS4, that there's not an Xbox One version of it. And uh, sometimes they will sign deals like that on certain titles to do that. I think Kingdom Hearts 3... No, Kingdom Hearts 3 is going to be on Xbox One and uh, PS4, both, so... Yeah, so, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, most multi-platform, like, big-budget A game or AAA games will come to, like, all the major systems, Um Nintendo games specifically are ones that are always <laughs> going to be exclusive. They're only going to be on Nintendo. So this is something that I mentioned because when I told this to Katie, it was kind of like light bulb moment. I think that like if you played Nintendo games growing up, if you want to play modern Nintendo games, go get a Nintendo Switch. Like there's no right. other question about it. Um, you know, you need a Nintendo console to play Nintendo games. Those are not really out on anything ever like they haven't been you know there's a couple spinoffs on mobile if you want to count that but those are few and far between and those aren't like full games you know but if you do want to do the big budget you know the triple a games that are multi-platform and you're not worried about the exclusivity of it being on like a microsoft or a playstation if it's not one of those first party studios we talked about then there are some other things to think about and i think the number one is probably what systems do your friends play on yeah it makes a really big deal, a really big difference, and it's weird to me to think about it now, but it it used to matter when we were when we were kids because we would be going and bringing our games to each other's houses. But now, because you can't be friends with somebody on PS4 and on Xbox One, you have to, to play together, so you have to be on the same one if you still want to play with your friends, even though the internet's a thing. So, for example, if you're looking to get back into, like, a Call of Duty or Madden, because those are two big franchises, I know that BJ and I don't focus on those a whole lot, but, like, there's a reason. Those are such huge games. A lot of people play them. A lot of people like them. So, like, If all of your friends are playing the latest Call of Duty or Madden or whatever the game may be and you want to get in and play with them, ask them what systems they're on because this can make the decision extremely easy for you. Usually within a friend group, there is one system that is like the common denominator and you might have some people that play like both systems or people like me who just own a ton of different systems, but almost always there seems to be like a common system within friend groups and you want to make sure you know that before you spend money on something (laughs) yeah absolutely that uh i know i've heard of a lot of people online uh just when they ask me what uh like they wanted to friend me and play something when i was like on overwatch or monster hunter and they're like oh i'm on i'm on xbox there's no way we can do this together or i would have helped you out but i'm playing overwatch on ps4 and not on pc just things like that where you can't play with somebody else because there's no cross-platform and uh it's it's something that you don't even think about 
for the most part if you're being insular to yourself like that right i mean it's not just call of duty it can be you know like mobas are very often pc exclusive or mmos a lot of the time are only on one platform or if they're on multiple platforms you can only play with people that are on the same platform as you stuff like that happens a lot so again it might sound obvious to people like if you've been playing games regularly like we have, but if you haven't played games in a while, um, you know, you almost always need to be on the same system as your friends to play games with them. So that is probably your biggest consideration. Uh, it, it's uh, even on the same system line that I when I ended up upgrading to a PS4, part of my decision was because my friends had already done so and the PS3 and PS4 don't have any kind of compatibility even really between friends lists that uh, you can see them but it, it, there's a weird interaction but I lost my friends that way that I wasn't able to play them. One of my buddies had Disney Infinity on PS4 and my stuff was on PS3. We couldn't import and do anything like that. We uh, just things they were playing uh, ended up getting Final Fantasy 14, but it's cross platform. But different things like that, where it's like, oh, they're on PS4 now. So if I want to play anything with them now, I need to be able to move up to the next generation. So yeah. you have to consider that as well. I did. That's a big consideration, too. Yeah. I mean, it was a huge deal when I made the jump from the Xbox 360 over to PS4. Like, that oh, yeah. was actually a really big decision for me to jump from Xbox to PlayStation across a generation. Um, you know, I chose not to pick up the Xbox One because there weren't that many exclusive first-party games that I was interested in, and there yes. definitely were on PS4. That was why I made the Switch, knowing that at some point I might have to go back and get an Xbox One to play some games I wanted. But luckily for me, Microsoft now brings a lot of the games <laughs> that they put out on Xbox One to PC. So... Yep. If you've been out of gaming for a while, you probably don't have a gaming PC, so that's not really a consideration for you. But, you know, if you're like me and you always keep a good gaming PC up to date, that's something to think about. Like, if you're considering an Xbox One, most of the games there you're interested in, you can play on PC as well. And I was the same way swapping from Xbox 360 over to PS3 because I had the PS1 and then went to the PS2, and when Xbox came out, I got the regular Xbox. And then I was kind of uh, an Xbox guy more than a PS2 guy for a while there. And when the 360 came out, it was really the first of that generation, and all of my friends had it. So, of course, that was what we all got. We were playing together. We were doing everything on the 360. But So when the PS3 came out, there was no reason for me to get it, despite constantly seeing new games that I was wanting to play on it that I couldn't play on the 360. So when mine Red Ring, I made the opposite decision of you. I didn't replace the 360. I jumped ship and went to the PS3 where I had to start all new getting games in the library and uh, adjusting. And luckily, my friends were feeling the same way and have, are all pretty much PlayStation guys now. Well, and that's one of those things, too, that's going to be different from the next generation. Um, I'm speculating at this point, but like we talked about a couple weeks ago, the architecture driving these things is basically PC architecture now. So yeah. there's probably no reason that they wouldn't make a PS5 backwards compatible with PS4. And if you guys... Crossing my fingers. Yeah, if you guys are out of the loop, backwards compatible means that even though it's a new system, even though it's a PS5, it would play every single PS4 game. Um, some systems have done that in the past, like the PS2 was backwards compatible with the original PlayStation, so you could take any original PlayStation game and play it on the PS2. But over the years, 
they've broken that at various times. Like right now, there are some Xbox 360 games that you can play on Xbox One. There's almost nothing from PS3 that you can play on PS4. But I think this is a self-correcting problem if we give it one more generation. But it's another reason to like consider this before you drop the money because you might be getting a PlayStation right now and you're kind of committing to maybe a PS4 and then maybe the PS5 next also. So you have to, like you said, consider that. I actually looked into it when getting a PS4 because there is a, I think there is a certain version of the PS4 that is actually backwards compatible with the PS3, but there were a lot of hardware issues that they changed to make sure and just cut the PS3 uh, backwards compatibility. There was... I want to say there was something like that for PS3 and PS2 also. Was there? I don't maybe remember. Maybe that's the one I'm thinking of. It's it's one maybe that's that is what it is. It was when I was getting the PS3 that I was looking into it cuz I wanted to play some of my PS2 games. That's what it was. I was just jumping a generation. So yeah, that's I mean This is kind of a side tangent for backwards compatibility since it's all speculation for the next generation, but just know it's a thing that might come up. It might benefit you in the future. Um, The last like main thing, you know, outside of considering like what games do you want to play? I still think is number one. Um, What system do your friends play on as number two? The third big thing, which once I started thinking about this, like it's a super underrated part of the decision for people like us who are playing games all the time and we're just in the middle of it. You know, gamers (laughs) for back of better term we take this for granted but how approachable is the system and like there's so much that goes into that like it's not about making it simple it's not like making it a a system for babies but it's just you know like how much fiddling do you have to do with it to make it work and for the most part for me that's not even a consideration like i never even thought about the software part of it and i don't know that's hmm well i mean so I kind of laid it out here as the Switch is super approachable. So if you, I mean, like if you are someone out there right now who hasn't played video games since, you know, like the N64, PlayStation 1 days, or even if you haven't played a game since like like the original NES or SNES, right? Um, Things have changed. They're more complicated now. I mean, you know modern devices, like you're probably using a phone to listen to this or an iPad (laughs) or something. Right. Um, But, you know, things have changed since those days. So... If you're a little bit intimidated by the setup or by like everything that can go into it, honestly, the Switch is the most accessible one out of everything. By and, far. And Nintendo games themselves are super approachable. They always have good tutorials. They always have good onboarding. Um, you know, they don't give you that like that Dark Souls feel like they're not going to just terrorize <laughs> you by destroying you over and over again. You know, they Nintendo has approachable games. So if you really don't, if you're feeling like intimidated, but you want to get into games, the Switch is the place to start, honestly. Like, there's a game there for you. I'm sure there is. But yeah. beyond that, the PS4 is pretty approachable. It's basically just plug and play. I mean, the menus are a little more complex if you want to go into the system settings and stuff, but you can mostly ignore that and be fine for the most part. Yeah. The Xbox One is a little bit less so just because they were trying to make the Xbox One kind of an everything console. It was trying to be like your media center and like it can be your cable box and it can be your DVD player and it can be everything. And the PS4 can do all those things outside of the cable box part, but it doesn't put them front and center in the same way that like the Xbox One dashboard really is trying to do more than it probably should. So Xbox One a little bit less so. And then PC is honestly the most unapproachable. As much as I oh, love far. PC gaming, like it it takes fiddling. You know, something's not going to work. You're going to have to replace a part eventually. There's 
don't do PC gaming unless you're confident in it. So, I mean, that's kind of the scale with everything that's out right now. You know, Switch being most approachable, then PS4, Xbox One, and then PC as the most unapproachable. Um, one of the things that you said, though, that I think was very worth talking about quickly is the controller. I've had so many people say that they use the Xbox, they're, they're Xbox One owners because they hate the PlayStation 4 controller. And I do not understand it because it is a delightful controller. I mean, I love the Xbox One controller. I have one hooked up to my PC right now, but I don't understand people not liking the PS4 one because it's a good controller, but that has made them not buy a system. And I know you and I have talked about how we want everything on the Switch because it is better, just straight up better to play on the switch than on anything else because of the the form factor and the control i mean and you're right the the pro controller is awesome for it i mean it is hands down the best one of them well i mean you know the switch itself is a portable system so you can just take it out of the dock you just walk over to it pull up and you have a portable system it's like if you're out of the loop it's like a crazy incredible game boy that's up to modern standards right that has the power of a home console game um and that itself is a controller, too, as a consideration. Yes. So think about that if making these decisions. But yeah, I mean... It made Jennifer's decision, honestly, when she was able to play Mario Kart sitting on the couch at our friend's house, at Austin's house, when we were on vacation, we came home and just a month or so later got, ended up getting a Switch so she could do that at home. That that kind of accessibility uh, and feature was all it took. She was like, I like it just fine. It's like, yeah, we'll get one eventually. And then when she saw it and felt it, it was like yep we're gonna get this this is i love this oh yeah the ability to just like take it and if you don't want to play docked you can just curl up on the couch or take it outside yep. or take it up to bed you know and play half an hour of a game before you go to bed for the night a full like quality console game like that's huge and then i mean in terms of the controller honestly uh i always liked the 360 controller i wasn't a big fan of the ps3 the modern generation i think all of the controllers are fine the xbox one is like kind of just an upgrade of the 360 i still think it's yeah. okay the ps4 controller is way better than any of the previous playstation controllers were so i like that yeah. one um the switch i think that pro controller is probably my favorite controller ever i love the feel of that in my hands it's fantastic so i think they all work but i don't know it's something you know if you're if you're this far and you haven't made a decision yet it's something to consider you know and you had a couple other things as like edge cases to think about if you're still debating right like and it was kind of like you you mentioned earlier with like the xbox trying to do too much and uh, just all at once and the ps4 and the ps3 are just really easy to use even though they're not up front it's like oh, i'm gonna go to the store and i'm gonna download netflix and you don't have to go through anything else and just what apps are available for it can you get Crunchyroll and youtube and how easy is it to use these on your TV that for some people it is that's going to be a system seller on whether or not it's annoying to have to get to YouTube uh, or whether it's not rather. I mean, I that's how we use our consoles, that uh, if it's not going to be something that we want to do every day, then we probably won't end up getting that console. And luckily, the PlayStation ones are good for that. Well, different people, this will matter different amounts, right? Because like when I had my 360, I didn't have any other streaming devices. So it was very important to me that that had the right apps and stuff so I could stream right. media to it. Whereas 
now I have a Roku attached to like the TVs in my house. I don't need a streaming media device. So I've literally never booted into Netflix uh, or, you know, Plex or anything on my PS4 or my Switch or anything just because I don't need to. I have a million other devices that can do that. So it depends on your own setup. I mean, you'll know this for yourself, right? If you have an Apple right. TV, if you have a Roku, if you're already like casting stuff, Chrome casting things from whatever, an iPad or your, your desktop or whatever, you're probably set. You probably don't need to think about it. Whereas if you don't have a streaming media device, yeah, maybe spend a couple minutes just looking at what's out there on the different systems because you'll get that benefit from it. And it's also one of the things I don't want a streaming media device because of it, because I don't want to have to swap to a different input and uh, get everything else set up. Having everything right there, that kind of accessibility makes it where I will have a console over something like that. Oh man, you and I are so diff- such different people in that regard. Yeah. I have I have a, an HDMI switch in there that switches between like five or six different inputs. Plus, I have two or three different hardline ones right to the TV. That's a different conversation. Um, yep. So to summarize again, um, I still think that like if you're thinking about getting a game console, first up is what games do you want to play? That's going to drive the majority of your decision. Um, the other thing, if that doesn't decide it for you, if it's more about the multi-platform games and you have options, what systems are your friends on? Just ask them. They'll know. It might make your decision super easy. And if you're still kind of unsure, start thinking about how approachable it is. You know, maybe go pick up a controller at a friend's house or go to the store and take a look. Um, you know, think about the form factor of the Switch, lifting it out of the dock and being able to carry it with you, take it places, and then like all the media apps and things. All of that said, I think Katie decided on a Switch when we talked to her. Yeah. I know she was borrowing a friend's one, and she might actually be buying one. So I was kind of excited that we helped somebody make their decision. That made my day when we did that. Yeah, and and she seen, I'm pretty sure she bought it and is happy with it. That that being able to see just what the Switch can do and where that particular line of uh, iterative game hardware has has come was really really awesome. Because when we were talking to her just about this, it really was watching uh, like someone who had not game for a while see how much better things are now that than they used to be well so the last thing i wanted to cover really quick before we like move off this topic is if you're going to grab a console you're going to get games with it right so a couple quick game recommendations um you know i feel like if you're going to get a ps4 or an xbox one you are probably getting it for one or two specific games so you're kind of already set you know it's either what your friends are playing or you looked at the exclusives and you saw a game or two in the exclusives that you're like i want to play that like maybe you're super excited for spider-man the way that we are so you're getting a ps4 Um, which was what got me buying it like over anything else i'm just waiting i decided it's like yep spider-man's on that one that's the one i'm going to end up getting so we're going to say if you're getting a ps4 and xbox one there's probably a game specific reason so you're probably okay if you are really easing yourself back into games for the first time in 10 15 20 years you're probably going to go with the switch i still think that's your best option and you know if you just want to play games and you literally don't know how to get back into it just go pick up a switch and you're probably going to be safe getting Super Mario Odyssey. It's fantastic. It's extremely approachable. Um, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, which is just like the best in class Mario Kart game. Um, Everybody's played Mario Kart. And uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild. Even like, I think that game is fantastic, even for newbies. It's wonderful. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, it may be a little, you may look at it and be like, oh my goodness, this is hard, and then play another 10 minutes, and you're like, this hard is fun. And uh, 
it's not Dark Souls hard. It's no, not no, crushing no. you hard. And, no, um, there are there are things you can do in that without being super good at games. Um, and then yep. maybe Splatoon two. Um, you know, if you want something that's kind of like lightweight, competitive, but not soul crushing. You know, yeah. uh, Splatoon two is a really good place to kind of ease yourself into that. I I would recommend. And if you're not into Mario Odyssey, if you don't like 3D worlds, and I say this because Jennifer thought she was going to like Super Mario Odyssey and ended up not because she doesn't like the 3D, uh, Donkey Kong uh, Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze got her on there, where it's just a traditional side-scroller, that it is brilliant as well. So if that's more of your thing than the 3D open world Super Mario uh, 64 Odyssey Galaxy uh area of mario games look at the donkey kong country uh, tropical freeze too yeah so there you go if all else fails reach out to us on twitter or on slack or somewhere you know where to find us by now probably if you're listening to the podcast geeky offer of the week really quick gameflyoffer.com slash geek you can get a free month of gamefly on us and it helps the podcast and you get games sent directly to you it's just a rental service and then you send them back when you're done I like it. I've been subscribed for a while. I'll talk about that here in a second. Um, the network this week, we are recording a week ahead, which is why BJ still sounds the way that he does. Um, I don't know what's <laughs> on the shows, but Geekitude with Joe Hogan and Ray Vargas, and then Tea Time with Katie and Chelsea, both are shows on the network. They're both fantastic. I'll be listening to them when this episode comes out, even though I don't know what the episodes are yet. For Weekly Geekery, what do you have this week? Uh, well, one of the things that I've been doing, I've been playing mostly playing Bravely Default and Tales of Hearts. I mean, I've still just been kind of sick because we're still recording. But as I have any kind of energy uh, to, and actually want to move around, I've been building up that retro gaming shelf that I've talked about a few weeks ago. And I'm moving my consoles in and trying to get them set up. And I'm really liking the idea of it. Uh, just looking over here and seeing a Sega Saturn beside a Nintendo 64 and my dad's old cartridge of Star Fox in my Super Nintendo sitting on top is just it just makes me happy uh, seeing that. So it's really coming coming along. I haven't gotten a TV or anything to actually pl- and got it set up to play them yet, but uh, it's super ugly and disorganized. But I'm getting more of my game cases and things like that out and putting it out for decoration. And uh, it makes me really sad that I can't find a lot of my old old original cases that i used to have like that old long black box for the ps1 of like resident evil and oh, yeah uh, i forgot about those oh yeah like those those long plastic ones for like battle arena toshinden yep. like i wish that i still had these big gaudy things that i have no idea where they ended up going like maybe they're in my mom's attic that i'll be able to get sometime but it's like i miss those and want to have those just for straight up nostalgia not even that they look cool it's just like i want to see those again and see how big they were that uh but i can't find any of those but yeah i'm just i'm still enjoying doing this and working on this project um i'm love seeing my old stuff pulling it out of boxes so it's been fun cool that's good i'm glad that it's coming together i want to see it when it's done oh yeah you don't want to see it now it's just super ugly (laughs) that's okay um i don't have a four job fiesta update since we're double recording tonight so i'm still in the same place i was last week even though i'm sure i'm not in real time um (laughs) but gamefly so i tried another handful of games that ended up not really being worth super talking about just things that like i bounced off of or i wasn't that interested in so like far cry 5 um extinction and like a couple others that i've already forgotten because they were forgettable um but i did try xenoblade chronicles 2 and it i wanted to like this game like i wanted to after how much you loved this game right Uh, i liked the world i liked the battle system i liked the setting 
Uh, the voice acting was fine. It was way better than what I had tried of Xenoblade Chronicles 1 or Xenoblade yeah. 1 or whatever it was. The problem for me with this game, and the reason that I sent it back, and I don't think I'm going to be trying it again, is there are so many cutscenes with dialogue, yes. and the dialogue is delivered so incredibly slowly that <laughs> I just can't stand it. And like yeah. Persona 5 has a lot of dialogue in it, but it's the kind of dialogue where you can hit the X button and jump to the next line. You know, right. it's not a full cutscene where you either skip the cutscene or you watch the cutscene. Right. And I felt like every like couple minutes in Xenoblade Chronicles oh, 2 absolutely. was a cutscene that you either have to sit through it to hear the dialogue and you have to sit through it in real time or you have to skip the entire cutscene. And yes. I didn't want to do either of those. I just I was sitting there just like mashing the A button because I was just like I read the entire line of dialogue and they've said half of the first word and I'm ready to see the next line. Like that is how I play JRPGs. I read fast. And but that's not how you play Xeno games. I didn't because know they're that. about these presentations and you'll get fifteen to twenty minute cutscenes and cinematics explaining this and really building the world. And for me, that's the draw of the series. Like I love this about them. Uh, and why I like it on the Switch and the three DS is because I can stop in the middle of them, unlike Xeno Saga One, when you get to an hour and a half cutscene that you can't do anything about and like i just i wanted to like it i tried i played like two and a half hours of this game like i really gave it a shot um but i found myself constantly like on twitter because the characters just couldn't spit it out fast enough and i couldn't skip to the next line of dialogue and when i'm trying to play a game like a game to engage my brain and I find myself on my phone constantly because I'm bored of the way the dialogue is being delivered, but I don't feel like I can skip it either. That's not a good sign. So that's kind of uh, what killed the game for me. I didn't know it was going to be so unskippable cutscene heavy. And I understand that. I really get that because that is a uh, not, a, not, not even a genre convention. That's a series convention that there are long extended cutscenes where there are times like I loved being able to just sit there and watch while I was playing but I do completely see why that's not necessarily something that you're you're into when you're uh, going through a JRPG it is why I'm not playing uh Xeno Gears right now or um one of the Xeno Saga games on uh, PS2 honestly is because I didn't want to sit through those again I wanted something else to be able to move through a little quicker because they're very deliberate in how they tell their stories and that's what you're playing them for when you're playing those yeah I just didn't know I didn't set my expectations accordingly and I I just can't do that with games at that point I would rather just be watching a TV show or a movie like I want to interact with my games so okay I don't know I was kind of disappointed but if cutscenes, if long cutscenes don't bug you, I really did like the battle system. I really did like the characters and the setting and everything else. Like, if I had just been able to hit A to jump to the next line of dialogue, <laughs> I probably would have gotten hooked on this game, honestly. Um, so take that as you will. That probably wraps up my game fly until fall when I'm going to pick it up again, because I always do in the fall when there's lots of games yep. coming out. But I feel like I kind of caught up on my mini backlog of stuff I wanted to check out. So I'm going to put my Gamefly subscription on hold for a couple months and then reboot it here in a few months too. And you only found one game that you're planning on keeping, isn't it? You're only, pl- oh, didn't you? You only found one game yeah, yeah, to Nino keep. Yeah, Nino Kuni 2. I mean, I told you, I think it was either end of last year or beginning of this time. My hit rate is about one in 20 games. And mm. I think I tried... Yeah 
about 20 or 25 games this time so it's still about right i mean i'm just good at gauging the games that i would like at this point the only things that go into gamefly are games i'm unsure about you know if it's a game i know i'm gonna like i just buy it so gamefly is truly like an extended demo service for me for games that i'm on the fence about that's how i use steam returns so yeah i totally understand yeah so besides that um games that i played a bunch and liked i mean i still played persona 5 so um it's kind of on hold right now as i'm doing the four job fiesta but in persona 5 i went in and i wrapped up the third palace so i i finished that and i got to the point where i'm just about to have a huge chunk of free time because i wrapped up the palace super early and then i have like the timer countdown day to day but it's done already so the free time is my favorite part of that game you know just doing the social links and building the confidants up and stuff like that um you know so I'll put it on hold here for a little bit to do four job fiesta, but I'm already getting close to finishing some confidants, which is crazy for where I am in the game. But I mean, this is the benefit of a new game plus, right? It's like all the knowledge that I've gained of the game systems and, you know, being able to carry over the money and all the registered personas and the items that I had from the first game and the stats, like the, the social stats you carry over from the previous oh, okay. game. So, you know, I mean, you played Persona 5 or Persona 4. Um, you know, yeah. you have like the stats that are in the battle system attached to personas. Those don't carry over and levels don't carry over. But you have like the five stats that you can grow as a character for the social aspect. Yeah. Yeah. All of those carry over. And I had maxed all those out in my first playthrough. Oh, so yeah, that would make it a lot easier. So yeah, that's what's making it speed up. And then I also understand the systems better and the fact that like if you have a persona that matches the confidant, you can move that relationship along faster. I didn't do that at all in my first playthrough. And now uh, I really like grok the system. So I'm maximizing it to the point where like I'm almost ready to wrap up some confidants, which is pretty cool this early in the game. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I'm glad that you're enjoying it as much the second time through. That was one of the big fears uh, that I was having is like you loved this game so much and going through it again. I was hoping it didn't have that drop off effect where it just wasn't as great because you had already experienced it. No, it's good. Um, I would say that I like the the palaces slightly less, but I know what's in all of them, so I can always set my expectation accordingly. Because the first time through, you don't know how long each palace is, and this time I know exactly how long each one is. Right. So I know if this is like a one-session palace or if I'm going to sit down for two or three gaming sessions and just put in a podcast and work my way through it. Um, being able to set my expectation for those helps but it probably reduces my enjoyment a little bit. But the thing that makes me actually enjoy this run better is that I understand the social system so much that, you know, I'm going to try to get every confident maxed out all the way. And that's kind of my goal of this playthrough. And I'm having so much fun doing that aspect of it every time I get free time in the game. So I'm, I'm loving that. Awesome. And that is your favorite part. So being able to focus on that is, is something that you haven't actually been able to do in a Persona game before, isn't it? No, not really. I mean, you do it throughout the course of playing naturally, and that's fun. But I mean, that's really my focus here. Like the palaces and the battle system and all that, that's secondary for this playthrough. This playthrough is all about like maxing out the confidants and seeing the end of every social link that i'm i'm so happy for you like i i don't even know that that's just how it is like i'm just so happy for you that that, that there is a new get <laughs> there's a new game 
<laughs> to yeah. be able to play in your new game. It's fun. It's New Game Plus. Um, the other thing I did this week, I I pre-ordered Hitman Two, so I got the Hitman Sniper Assassin game for free, which you know is an instant download. It's ready to play right now. So I played that a bunch for a couple nights in a row. Um, it's really fun for what it is. It is not a Hitman level. It is a Hitman level imagined through the scope of a sniper rifle. So oh. you know, in the main game, I love exploring and messing with stuff and following people on their routines and like seeing all the different ways you can interact with them there is only so much of that that you can do through the scope of a sniper rifle that being said everything you can do through it is interesting you know they they push the bounds of what you can do with that but it's still it it's a side thing you know it's a tangent to the main game um right you know, I had fun with it for a couple nights. I'll probably dip back in and get some more of the challenges done because there's tons of challenges and feats and all that stuff, just like in the main game. Um, I'll probably do some more of that before Hitman 2 comes out um, because I did have fun with it. But it's a diversion of a couple nights. It's not like the main Hitman game where I latched onto that for what, like two months? Yeah, like it, it may have been longer than that because it was you were you were pretty hardcore about it for a while and you were even playing it after we were finish talking about it here which doesn't happen a lot yeah no it does not no i will often get through a game enough to talk about it on the podcast and then i finish talking about it and i'm like oh those are all my thoughts about it i'm done with this game that's that's not how i felt about hitman so i'm super excited for the next one that comes out in november um I think that's it for this week. You can write to us with comments, suggestions, or feedback. Our email address is geek2geekcast at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at geek2geekcast. We also have longer discussion threads on the subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash geek2geekcast. And we also have good discussions on Slack, too. So go to slack.geek2geekcast.com for your invite. We're also a part of a podcast network. Then you can go to geek2geekcast.com to see all of our shows. I blog at agreenmushroom.com, and you can find me at grnmushroom. That's green mushroom without the E's on Twitter. And I'm on Twitter as at Professor Beige. That's Beige with two E's. We've been Void and Beige with your geek to geek podcast. That'll do it for this week. See you next week, geeks. Bye, geeks. Hi everyone, I'm Katie. And I'm Chelsea, and we are the hosts of Tea Time with Katie and Chelsea. We are two best friends who love pop culture and talking about pretty much whatever we want. Katie! Yes? Stop thinking about Zac Efron and tell our future listeners what some of our latest episodes have been about. Well, we've talked about Zac Efron. No, get it together, Katie. Fine. We've talked about fan fiction, classical literature adaptations, favorite TV couples, and so much more. So grab your cup of tea or whatever your drink of choice is and download our podcast today. Hi, my name is Joe Hogan, and I'm a geek. And if you're currently listening to this, there's a good chance you're a geek too. So check out my podcast, Geektitude. Each week, I talk with somebody about their geek aptitude. Sometimes I talk to people in a geeky profession. Sometimes it's someone doing something really cool with their geekiness. Often it's another geeky podcaster. But it's always someone who wants to share their inner geek. So join me each week as we come together to geek out about all the geeky stuff we love. And remember, this week, keep it geek.